I, I always talk to our team and I tell them like your focus is to allow all of our reps to not have to think about the systems. That's what that's what we should be doing. It, it should be so straightforward and so easy that their only focus is satisfying the customer. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is a friend of OpFocus who we're thrilled to have on the show. He's a seasoned RevOps professional, a Salesforce savant with over 12 years of experience, and he's brought these skills to companies including Conga and Angie's List. We're talking to Senior Director of IT at SciSense today. Welcome to the show, Stash Stashkovich. Great. Thanks for having me. All right, Stash, we're thrilled to have you with us this afternoon. And um, we, we really like to ask a question that just gets right to the heart of learning for, uh, for our listeners. Um, we we want to know something that in RevOps that you've had to learn the hard way. Sure. Um, there's been many lessons. Uh, probably the number one lesson I've learned is nothing is irreversible, but the time to reverse it is all depending on how much prep you've done. Um, and, you know, I, I've had, I think everyone thinks of those big major mistakes they've made or those one like cold split moments that you received um, <laughs> through, through your career. And for me, you know, there's two that come to mind. There's one in which uh, at Andy's List, we had, you know, millions and millions of records within our system. And as any good Salesforce person would do, you do data loads, uploads, changes, et cetera, to mass amounts of data. Um, and... Early in my career, you know, I would do a download of the file. I would then go ahead and modify that file, thinking everything was going to be good, as opposed to making a duplicate of said file. And one time I, I downloaded my file. I was making all the changes that I wanted to make. Um, it was a pretty large set of, of, of records. Pushed a button. Um, and then after it went through, realized I had made a mistake. And I did not save that file as a separate file, which made it really difficult for me to go and correct the issue. Um, so that cold sweat moment, right? I think we've all felt that like you realize something went wrong and now you have to go and fix it. Um, and I, so I've got, I've got a few of those stories too. <laughs> totally yes, know, know right? what you're saying. You, you do it once and then you probably don't do it again. But yeah. luckily for me, you know, as, as, as Angie's list was, we had really good backup plans for things like this. You know, we had different products. I'll, I'll, I'll name drop, you know, own backup was a little software that we leveraged. And so I was able to go and grab the information again from the day prior, but then having to go and review that file, do all your VLOOKUPs, do all the, like, it would have been so much easier if I just would have saved a duplicate and then reloaded the original file back in. So like nothing's irreversible, but the way you prepare for things uh, either make it easier or harder on yourself. <laughs> I think those are that's great advice. So nothing's irreversible, but certainly planning, planning ahead, taking all your steps. I think in the uh, in the carpentry world, they they talk about measuring twice and cutting once uh, as sort yes, of a, yes, a good words exactly of wisdom. Right. And I feel like those words of wisdoms are thousands of years old, passed from carpenter to carpenter. To carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And you know, you, you, 
you you know those rules and you know that that's that's uh, the lessons you should be taking, but it doesn't hit home until you have to leverage it. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Your title, Stash, is Senior Director of IT. But I know from having worked with you and your team for several years now, that title probably does not truly encompass all of the kinds of things you do. What does your role entail and what is your involvement with RevOps? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great question. Yeah, you know, IT has this, um, I don't want, I'm not even sure how to phrase it. It has, I don't want to say a negative view, but people think of IT and they think of people who are working on computers, they're fi- fixing your computer that you have, they're answering a bunch of tickets. But in reality, I mean, it's much bigger than that. Um, and it's not the IT of, you know, 20 years ago, in my opinion. And so my team, essentially, we, I have three different departments within, within my team. I have traditional IT, who's responsible for the software, is responsible for ticket management, responsible for ensuring that, you know, everyone has what they need within their computers. I have IT infrastructure, which is responsible for, you know, our data centers and where we house a lot of our own internal products and details. And then I have business systems, right? And business systems is responsible for, you know, the go-to-market tech stack, Salesforce, Outreach, Marketo, all those things that everyone uses day in, day out. What we always talk about and within my teams is we talk about process first and technology second, even though we are the systems IT department. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat down with, you know, a stakeholder and we've gone through some of the issues or the things they want, they're wanting to correct. And too often I've seen teams prescriptively say, oh, well, we can solve that with this technology, as opposed to taking a step back and understanding what is the true issue we're having? Could it be solved through training? Could it be solved through, you know, actual onboarding people a little better? Could it be solved through a process change? And maybe we we move some button clicks as opposed to an entirely new technology. And so that I think that's a new push that I've seen a lot with different companies where the IT house is no longer in its own little silo off to the side. They're now more part of business operations and RevOps holistically. And, you know, my counterparts are the data analysts, the uh, enablement team, as well as RevOps as a whole. So we're all part of one organization and we're trying to push the company holistically together in terms of processing the technology that solves it, enabling them, and then reporting on the results. And that's how I view RevOps. Wow. I'm hearing a lot of crossover. I mean, I'm hearing, um, you mentioned, of course, the analytics piece, you mentioned business systems, but also I feel like is, I I guess this is maybe more of a theoretical philosophical question. Do you feel like IT and business operations in a modernized company are starting to see more overlap? Are they becoming um, terms for each other used interchangeably? What's What's your perspective on that? And and maybe let's tie it to um, whether each of those functions measure success differently. Is it the objective that differs that separates the um, the functions in a modern uh, SaaS company like yours? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I do think there's more and more overlap, um, and I do think the measurements of success are starting to bleed into each other. You know. When we go to put in a technology, let's say that we purchase a brand new technology, and then we want to install that into our software and into the process and the day-to-day lives of our employees. The first people that we work with are not only the stakeholders who want to use this software, 
but essentially the RevOps leaders who's going to help manage their project maybe holistically, right? We are partnering with them to say, okay, we want to do X, Y, Z. We're the experts to tell you, well, I think you should do it in this order. Um, I don't think that the technology will support X, Y, Z. Let's think about it this way. And so there's so much more partnership and overlap with these teams where I think, you know, IT business systems need to have more business thoughts than ever um, because we're so embedded in the day lives uh, of our employees. You know, I, I challenge any, any company uh, to, to, name, to be working on just their phones, right? No one is, is literally just making phone calls anymore and, and talking through uh, things uh, through, through emails and et cetera, right? There's 10 to 15 systems per company without a question. And so because we are, as a technology, so much more embedded in the day-to-day of every one of our employees, we have to know how the business functions in order to support them. Let me go one step further because IT over the years, uh, because of that lack of alignment with a clear revenue perspective has often been relegated and maybe considered even as a cost center. How do you tie revenue or ROI or really how you move the needle in the business when you are overseeing so many things behind the scenes in addition to the uh, end user processes that you touch every day? Yeah, you know, that's that's a great question. Um, I, we still are considered a cost, right? Because because it is, it is still pretty difficult to tie us into ROI. However, some of the ways that I kind of phrase that question when I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to, you know, the exec, executive level is every click that I can take away from a sales rep. Everything, every last little field they have to put in is another minute or second that they're on a phone with a possible client or a customer, right? So the more and more of these technologies that are doing parts of their job that they had to do in the past, the more time I'm enabling them to sell, which is what's going to bring in the dollars. And that's the way I try to tie in what our team does uh, to support revenue. I like that. It's very uh, succinct what you just said, which is if there's a direct impact on the end user being able to do their job more and better, then of course they'll be able to drive um, more dollars into the door. And that helps support the different initiatives that you end up working, many of which probably are long-term and strategic. And um, I think of it maybe closer to how um, politicians never really want to work on, uh, you know, the the what the what is it called the water the um sewage systems you know we're seeing the floods and the issues with the weather in California right now those are not glamorous but they're they're the must haves in order for a city or in this case a revenue team to function yeah that's that's exactly right um you know it, i i always talk to our team and i tell them like your focus is to allow all of our reps to not have to think about the systems that's what that's what we should be doing it should be so straightforward and so easy that their only focus is satisfying the customer. So then enablement <clears throat> takes on an, a more important meaning with all the work that you're doing to just make sure that you're onboarding folks and retraining and, and ensuring with all the new hires as, as the organization's growing that you're continuously providing that guidance. So that, yeah. that must be an interesting challenge. Is that is that a, a, a separate headcount on your team or is that... Um, uh, just something that everyone is taking part in. Yeah, no, that you're, that's a good question. So, so for for me, um, 
in my current role and, and my past role, you know, we have an enabling director who is part of the business operations team. We all report to the same person, right? And so we're rowing in the same direction of, hey, I'm hearing this from the field or, hey, we need more enable at this. Um, in fact, they're usually my go-to on, hey, what's wrong or what are, what are the processes we can correct? What do the people complain about? Um, they're a direct line into what we're seeing on the field. Um, and when we talk about new systems, they're the first people I tap on the shoulder and go, hey, we're about to do X, Y, Z to improve people's lives. I need you to rah-rah for me and get people up to speed. Yeah, and it's so important. I, I think for years, systems was sort of given, you know, if there's a two or three day sales kickoff, you know, either on day two in the late afternoon or day three, as we're just about to leave, we'll give you a half an hour <laughs> to do training. Yep. Um, but, but actually these, you know, there's so many productivity tools that really can shave off time. We think of things like CPQ or, um, you know, some of the amazing uh, technology around calendaring and, and uh, uh, you know, calling that can shave so much time off of someone's day. Uh, that um, it's really imperative that we think of this. I'm so glad to hear that you have that enablement role uh, where that where that's a focus. Yeah, it, it it's vital to ensuring that, you know, the things that we're building will actually be used, <laughs> right? That's the other big piece of it. So SciSense is Series F. Uh, you took 100 million in funding in 2020. Um, uh, you've got 736 employees, 737 as of right now on LinkedIn. Um, uh, there's a, just a real interesting amount of complexity uh, that, that you're um, uh, dealing with and then looking ahead at the, the growth of the company to, to come. Um, I'm, I'm curious um, with regard to the team, how do you determine the right balance of in-house versus outsourced work? Yeah, for, for me, I think there's, there's really three things that help me determine whether we're going to go outside um, or we're going to keep this internally. Um, you know, one of them is how quickly it needs to be done <laughs> is, is probably a major factor, right? So, so if we're talking about a very quick turnaround and my team's already been earmarked for several different projects, that's often a time I'm going to, you know, bring in expertise and bring in an outside resource. Um, or if there is, you know, in-house knowledge of, a, of this thing or this process we're wanting to implement or this new tool, uh, or, it, or lack of will help determine whether I'm going to bring outside resources, right? So if I don't have an expertise, let's say, for example, CPQ, and I need some advice on how to properly upstand up a new CPQ system, I want to take it from the experts who's done it for 10, 15, 20 plus companies, and then seeing all the different things that are out there. Um, what I also want to make sure though is when I bring the external resources that are going to help work a project, there always has to be an internal resource hip to hip with those individuals, because when they leave, it's now our responsibility. And, you know, I, my advice is, is if, if you are running a team to help, you know, and you are bringing external resources in, make sure your internal team knows exactly what's going on every moment. Um, it's, it's vital. <laughs> and I think those are the strongest relationships that we have where we can have that working hip to hip and have the knowledge transfer. And that knowledge transfer goes both ways, you know, really trying to understand more about your business, your goals, the strategies for achieving the goals. Um, it's so important to us and having, having that alignment with someone internally. And I, I, I commend you for doing it the way that you're doing it uh, because a lot of organizations either have no one or they haven't allocated anyone 
to that learning, especially with something like CPQ, just yeah. n- knowing, knowing the complexity of, you know, cause new products will be added. Price books have to be updated. Pricing has to be updated. It's complicated. It, it is. It is. And it's always good to learn from the experts who have seen, you know, many different features or, or have the knowledge of how other people have implemented and can, and can point out, you know, where the landmines are so you don't step on them. <laughs> and are you hiring for your team just out of curiosity? We, we yeah. are. We have a couple different positions within our BizOps team, some within mine, some within, you know, RevOps and, and data. So yeah, I mean, check out our, our career page at SciSense. And, and, and like I said, we are, we're continuing growing company. Cool. That's great. You've already mentioned, Stosh, a whole bunch of cross-functional ways you're involved. We find that often when we're speaking to RevOps leaders, they end up taking on some really interesting, unexpected cross-functional corporate level initiatives because it just doesn't really have an owner elsewhere. Um, In your position and your role, which is so integrated with all these other functions, are there some initiatives that you've been either asked to take on or that you've taken on because you're like, Hey, this is really going to make an impact. And this is the right thing for me to just raise my hand and go ahead and do. Yeah. You know, um, within systems teams, you know, we see a lot, (laughs) we see how all the inner workings are, you know, throughout the company. And, and, you know, an example that I I've, I've had experience with before that you wouldn't traditionally see under, you know, BizOps or, or an IT system team is, is, is license management. So for, for example, you, you would expect license management to, to live within product and, and, and within the engineering team. And, and it, it does. And in the organizations I've worked with, um, but what we often don't think about is a lot of times the, the source of truth of what a company has or what they're entitled to or what they own resides within your, your CRM, Right. And so oftentimes you'll see that the start of a license management, the start of getting people access comes from out of those CRMs and you end up having to manage what you would expect product engineering to, to work with um, within your business systems team to ensure that those two things are tied together well. Um, we're experiencing that now um, and we're continuing to make iterations on it, but it's, it's something you wouldn't traditionally think as a IT systems responsibility. Can you talk a little bit more around the license management piece? Because I know um, often things like provisioning, um, you know, the speed in which you can onboard a customer, that affects, of course, how quickly the business can consider that account ready and healthy and, you know, then, of course, future for cross-sell, upsell. Um, How do you measure the success of an initiative like that? Yeah, you know, I think we use a combination of different things. Uh, one of the big ones would be NPS score of the company, right? So, so because we're, you just pointed out, we're helping a customer get up to speed as quickly as possible, and we're enabling them access to the to the actual software. Our NPS score reflects our ability to do that. Um, I think you know the other thing I would measure against is just time to value. So, how quickly can we get someone access? How quickly can we provision? You know. One of the things we'll start to, you know, as I, as I said earlier, like a lot of times it'll start out of your CRM um, in terms of closing a contract, getting the customer to, to come in. And because of that, you have the ability to automate a lot of onboarding processes within your CRM that would require a lot of engineering work if you were to hand it over to the other side. So I think there are other things that you could take advantage of because of the nature of these CRMs and the ability to automate things through workflows. You get Find the value much quicker than you would 
hire an engineer to put a bunch of processes in the back end. I think that's so important. And we've seen it many times over the years in a couple different ways. Uh, but if we can get that handshake between the systems team and the engineering team, it is amazing if we can actually speak the same language and divvy up the work where the work's being done because we can schedule apex, because we can schedule flows, because we can choose to do some of the heavy lifting on the CRM platform instead of on whatever the SaaS platform um, <clears throat> that uh, that partnership sounds great. So I'm glad glad that you've achieved that. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you said it best. Like, it, it becomes so much easier for us to manage those types of things because of all the the things that we're able to do within Salesforce itself. Um, you know, it, 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 sometimes you can accomplish it even with just an admin. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right, so why don't we stay on the technology topic since we've got a lot to talk about there? Uh, is there a tool in your tech stack that you could not live without? Yeah, for me, um, you know, one of the tools that has, has, has really shown a good ROI for me, I, I value a lot, would be uh, Capato. And so for those who aren't familiar with what Capato is, it's essentially a DevOps tool that allows you to, you know, really streamline your movement of code, Apex data, whatever you need from sandbox to sandbox and into production. And not only move the information, but also track the movement so you can have auditing purposes um, if you are getting audited at some point. And so... That tool for me, you know, if you ever use chain sets and having to scroll through all these different, you know, objects and all the different pages to just go select one field and then do it all again. I mean, just that sheer time savings you have with Capato and the ability to search for, for uh, metadata and build a search for information and to set up clear, you know, concise sandbox relationships and your, your walk down. And not only that, the other nice thing that I'll, I'll, I'll give another Capato plug is you can, you know, backfill things from production. So let's say that you have three or four different sandboxes that are feeding into a full sandbox for your testing and QA purposes. And then you push that into production. After completion, you can backfill all that with the click of a button that goes back and seeds all that information to your other sale, sale, sandboxes to ensure that people who are working on that sandbox has the most information up to production as opposed to having to refresh the whole sandbox and maybe nuke what they might've been working on. So that tool has been invaluable for me. Um, I, I'm a huge fan. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we hear good things about the collaboration, especially for a growing team. The more cooks in the kitchen, you, you need that coordination. And with so many companies using 10, 20 or more sandboxes, now that, that coordination is essential. Yes, I, I completely agree. So I know that analytics are important to you. Uh, I'm curious, where do you get your at-a-glance view of what's going on? Yeah, for, for us, um, you know, I'm a big component of drinking your own champagne, eating your own dog food, however you want to phrase it, negative or positive, right? But, you know, SciSense being a data analytics platform, we leverage our internal tools as much as we can. And so we feed a lot of our Salesforce data directly into, you know, our, our product. And then we leverage that product throughout the company, um, embedding it directly in the Salesforce, embedding it directly in the Slack. You know, we have different ways that we can leverage our, our product in many different uh, products that are out there. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of, of leveraging SciSense as a whole. And, you know, the company is able to see exactly what's going on because we're feeding it not only data from Salesforce, but data from all sorts of softwares that we, we use internally. 
And so, and we have, you know, our data analytics team is, is a separate division that is part of BizOps. You know, we talked about that beginning to end process and how I think it, it should all be under that one organization. So I partner with, you know, our, our director often about different data points that we're bringing in, or we're just introduced this new CPQ process and you need to make sure that you're, you're pulling those, that, those fields in. So once again, that connection to data analytics holistically under the BizOps umbrella, um, is so vital because you're all aware of what each other are doing. Is there any platform or tool that you rely on for a health check? I don't necessarily have a specific tool that I leverage for a health check. I do run that Salesforce health check every once in a while just to see how we're, we are in terms of limits and et cetera. Um, but I don't, I personally don't actually have a specific health check um, software that I use. Happy to hear traditional suggestions though. <laughs> Um, and, um, I'd love to shift to talk about the future of RevOps. Uh, and is there anything that's exciting you about where things are headed with RevOps? Yeah, I think for me, it's the idea of this BizOps group becoming a thing. I've seen it more and more in different companies as, and companies I've worked with, um, where IT, RevOps, um, data analytics, onboarding, they're all one group rowing in the same direction. And it, it excites me the idea of, of having that as an organization because the collaboration of those groups really is what makes a company run, in my opinion. And so I, I, I really am excited to see the continuous growth of that. I'm also honestly continue, excited to see the continuous growth of, of softwares that allow you know general BAs or admins leverage them and do what developers had to do 10 years ago, right? Every software now is trying to ensure that our, our BAs are able to enable and do the work themselves, which goes back to the point about like, it's so important that our, our, our IT teams and our systems teams know how the business is gonna run because oftentimes they can take the requirements and they go knock them out themselves, which is a huge time saver. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad we didn't stop when, you know, like in the early days of web development, when you'd have some of these tools like Dreamweaver and some of the other ones, and you'd look at the underlying code that was spit out and you go, you know, dear God, what is this mess? <laughs> and it sort yes. of looked good on the page, but you know, underneath the hood. So I'm glad, you know, thinking now, um, you know, some of these tools are really doing quite great things for us, allowing and just seeing all the 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 changes within Salesforce's automation, for example, and the the move toward flow and how that's empowering, like you said, BAs to to really do a lot more. And you know, hopefully yes. not harm, uh, yeah. not harm <laughs> yes. because they can cycle through thousands of records <laughs> very quickly. Yes, yes, that's that's where you need to make sure you have a good solutions architect that's there to review every time. Yeah, right. <laughs> For someone with so many operations, analytics, um, it, technology, talents, I'm super interested in understanding how you got here. Um, I know most people's paths are quite unconventional. Um, if I understand correctly, you're currently in Indianapolis. Yes. And you got your uh, undergrad from Ball State University, a, a general Correct. studies degree. And um, prior to joining Sysense, uh in the IT team, you were director of enterprise systems and data science at Conga. Paint me a picture. From university to, you know, your earlier roles to now, 
How did you get to SciSense? How did you get into enterprise applications? Yeah, you know, as you said, like, mine's also very unconventional in <laughs> the path that I, I, I've made. Um, I started actually at Angie's List um, right in the call center for Fiala College. So my job was to take phone calls from companies who wanted to be on Angie's List. And when I joined Angie's List, we were a company of like 300 employees. So not the Angie's List you see commercials for nowadays. We were much, much smaller and scrappier back then. Um, and so I did that for for a year and a half, almost two years, just taking calls. And, and you know, actually at Angie's List, we had a homegrown internal uh, CRM, right? We did not use anything else. Um, it was all built by engineering and it was it was quite cumbersome, if I'm being honest. And so we actually introduced Salesforce um, my second year there at Angie's List. And so I got wind of, of this kind of software. And I always had, you know, a knack for technology. I, I was always the one that was trying to, you know, play around with different things on, on the side. Also, I really enjoyed operations as a whole. I, I enjoy seeing a problem and trying to solve it with a process. And so I happened to know the person that was responsible for um embedding Salesforce into Andy's list. And so I just kept conversations with them and honestly just networked and chatted with them. Um, and so what happened after the call center is I actually went into um, QA where I was QAing people who were calling to see how they were performing and give them tips and tricks. And that actually turned into an enablement jo uh, job. So I actually ran enablement um, for one of our divisions at Angie's List, it was known as the big deal. So we were kind of like a competitor against Groupon. And I loved, you know, just teaching people how to make things a little more efficient or have, you know, better phone calls and et cetera, my experience talking to people. Um, but I always still had that little itch um, to, you know, work on operations or work on systems. So, you know, as any good individual who just embedded Salesforce for the first time, they don't know that you should shut down admin rights to people. So I happened to get an admin <laughs> privileges to Salesforce at the time when I was in the, the enablement team. And so I started working with my director who was in charge of that division and go, hey, I think we can make some tweaks here on our Salesforce page. I think we can make some updates here. And I asked my, my buddy, like, are you okay if I just start making changes? He said, yeah, sure. Um, so that I just started making updates and, and I started, you know, updating the way I think it should move within our, our organization. Um, so I think he finally realized that I probably shouldn't be doing that in this own complete under umbrella. So he asked me to join his team <laughs> and that was my kind of way into Salesforce and operations as a whole. Um, <laughs> it, it was, so yeah, so. I think the networking is probably the most important thing, my advice there. So from there, um, after being, you know, administrator for a couple of years uh, under the Angels umbrella, we went public. We we eventually um, sold to Home Advisor. They they put those two companies together and I kind of moved on to another company, um, which was Tonga. And I joined Tonga as a solutions architect because I was essentially, you know, a senior admin there at Angelus and had experience with Salesforce quite a bit. And at Conga, we actually didn't have a dedicated team that was responsible for um, internal systems. Um, it was kind of shared within the actually service department there at Conga. And, you know, we made some pushes to really try to separate and carve that out into a true team that I eventually got to, you know, run and, and take over. And we also included the DALX team as part of that organization uh, because I think they still, you know, go hand in hand together. And from there, it, it brought me into that whole realm of 
running a team of, of business systems teams. Um, and then eventually, you know, Congo was acquired by Aptis. Um, it was, a, they, they combined those two companies together. I, I decided that it, it was probably the right time for me to, to move on. And so I joined SciSense, the DLX platform yeah. as, you know, the same role, essentially that, that systems, uh, managed director who was running the internal systems. Um, we eventually, uh, our, our IT head, who was a director, it was a partner of mine, eventually left SciSense and I was asked, Hey, do you want to take on IT? And, and I said, yes, cause I was excited for the challenge. And so it's, you know, unconventional. Um, it's not your typical path, but I think it, it speaks to if, if you're doing what you're doing now very well and you continue to to push yourself on learning new, you know, ways of accomplishing things or training on things that don't even fall under your umbrella, it, it becomes much easier for someone to say, hey, something happened. What, do you want to take this on? Yeah, I'm hearing that uh, you not only embraced the opportunity, but also you started doing some of that work before you formally got the role, right? You were willing to kind of roll up your sleeves, uh, get your hands dirty, jump in. And then when, uh, your friend and your, you know, future team manager was like, Oh, okay. I think it's time for us to make this a little bit more formalized. You already knew a lot of, uh, what you required in the next role to be successful. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, you know, advice I, I received from one of my mentors was don't do the job you have, do the job you want. And so if you're already doing the job you want, it becomes a much easier decision to give you that job when it's time. You mentioned, of course, SciSense uh, and and how you got there, the path there. Um, you are obviously very focused on the analytics side. Maybe for the folks who don't know, who are listening to the podcast could you give us uh, an idea of what SciSense does and what you are trying to accomplish in the marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. So SciSense is an analytics platform that allows you to do many different types of reporting and analytics. But one of the big pushes that we have is we we infuse analytics into your day-to-day, right? So as opposed to having to go and pull up a dashboard and read the information, et cetera, maybe you ask a question in Slack and we throw some data points or a dashboard directly in there, right? So the idea of SciSense is, is to infuse analytics everywhere, right? Use the systems that you're using day in and day out and then provide the information when you're ready to look at that. Um, and so our main focus is working with customers who want to infuse analytics, not only in their internal systems um, for their internal use cases, but also their actual product themselves. So we we put SciSense on your platform to provide analytics for the customers that might want to know what's going on with their service that they have to do. Very, very cool. The next but related question goes back to some of your path, right? You had to learn on the job. You um, jumped in and played with stuff. How what were kind of the resources you used along the way or maybe even resources you continue to use to help you stay on the cutting edge of systems and processes and what's best practices? Yeah. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, I think Salesforce does an absolute amazing job of providing training and enablement, right? The trailhead is unbelievable. And I really wish more companies would, would start to embrace that more and more because you can do anything and everything within Salesforce on your own learning path. So, you know, if you focus on the Salesforce realm, Trailhead, go in trailhead and be a trailhead expert. 
Um, but there's other programs like Udemy or LinkedIn uh, Learning. Like there's tons of different online courses that are often free or at very little cost that can teach you any element that's out there. Um, the other thing that I try to, you know, look at and read is different blogs about future iterations or from, you know, people that I, I, I respect and, and want advice from, you know, I always, as we discussed earlier, do the job you want, um, not the one you have, right? So often we'll look at CIO blogs and what are they talking about? What are the cutting edges they're thinking through? What are the uh, problems they're trying to solve? And so I'm often just looking at other peers and, and you know, people above me and, and what are they thinking about and why am I not thinking about that? That's really great. Using a variety of um, courses available online, um, different blogs, thought leadership, um, podcasts like this, perhaps, to be able to validate and understand what's going on outside. Um, Because you mentioned advice, I wanted to turn the advice question actually back on you. Stosh, when you look back at the time you've uh, so far spent at SciSense, what would be advice that you gave to yourself on day one of your current role? Yeah, I, it's a tough question. Um, but I think the, the advice I would give is expand your network as soonly as possible, right? And so, you know, we talked about the opportunities I had um, to take on that admin role that really, in my opinion, catapulted my career. Um, I think if I wasn't talking to individuals or poking around or trying to network, and really I probably could have even done a much better job earlier on in my career, I don't know what opportunities would have been presented to me. Um, you know, I, I can't remember the percentage, but, you know, often people will talk about the getting a new job is a, a percentage of skills. It's a percentage of who you know, and it's a percentage of luck. And so anytime you can try to work on all three, of uh, at least the first two, um, the better off you're going to be. And so I think, you know, network, 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 talk to people in your, your, your career, talk to people who are, who you want to work with in the future. Talk about people who, you know, are at a level that you want to be at. Um, because often those are the people that will be able to either get you a job or, or connect you to someone who can. What great advice. And I think about those of us, our inner tech geeks, our inner operations process focused, uh, you know, professionals, we just want to jump in, solve problems, get it done. But so much of um, getting it done is being able to know who can help you get it done and who can help you um, move along in your career and your journey. That's awesome. So yeah, thank you. You're exactly right. And you wonder how much of that has changed. I think back to the third software company, the last software company that I worked at, how important the foosball table was for networking and for talking about things. And, you know, the, the hundreds of hours late at night and at weird hours and at during breaks during the day, spending, you know, playing foosball, uh, those conversations and how important those conversations were for me. So does that change in a largely virtual world where companies are shaving off office space and that sort of thing? You wonder? Yeah. It becomes a lot more difficult, um, but still so vital. I mean, you made such a great point. Like, you know, those times where something you need a favor or you need someone to assist you, man, it's a lot easier if they know who you are and you were networking them. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, uh, so I, I, I have a hint at what the answer might be to this, but I'm, I'm really curious. So you've, you've shared your career journey with us. 
and what a cool journey it was. I'm curious, like what's out there on the bucket list career-wise? And you, you mentioned CIO a moment ago, but I don't want to lead the witness. Yeah. Here. You know, I, I, for, for me, that's, that is probably kind of the end goal is that CIO, you know, possibly COO position. Um, I, I love operations. I love technology um, and I love enabling people to, to leverage both of those things to make their, their lives easier. Um, and so I, I still obviously have some more learning to do before I'm ready for, for one of those. But um, I, I want to be able to help, you know, enable the executives and, and give them advice on what we need to do technology-wise or operations-wise to make something run more smoothly. And I think I, I can provide that. And that's, that's really kind of my end goal in my career. Very cool. We're seeing a lot of trend toward the COO as a you know a future step after RevOps. I, I love for you that the CIO uh, is is out there as well, and that make that makes a lot of good sense. So I'm excited for you and look forward to tracking that uh, as you, as you progress along. So um, the role you have is pretty intense. The roles you're talking about in the future are pretty intense. What do you do to unwind? Yeah. Uh, so for me, there's two kind of major things I do. Um, one is I love camping and hiking. I love being in the outdoors. And I think it's probably in nature of what I do in my career, right? Being in front of a screen and thinking about technology. Um, but I always joke with my manager, um, when I take vacations, I go to like these crazy remote like forest areas where there is no sense of technology and no way of communicating with me, even if you could. Right. And so like, for me, that is my unwinding time to really uh, get away from the technology and, and the, the day to day. I always thought people gave that as an excuse. So you're saying you really are headed to Siberia or Northern <laughs> Canada. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do like Banff in Northern Canada, like where there's zero cell phone reception for, for miles and miles and miles. That is an ideal vacation for me. Cool. Um, and then, you know, the other thing for me is, um, actually I really enjoy, uh, woodworking and I like to build things with my hands. You know, one of the things, you know, with my career and, and, and my, my job is we're constantly, you know, in technology, we're constantly looking at computers, we're constantly, you know, pumping out awesome things that make huge impacts, but there's nothing tangible ever with that. And there's something very satisfying to me when I complete a woodworking project and you can just hold it. Like I built this thing. Um, and that, I, and that's another way that I kind of turn off the mind for a little bit and just focus on simple things. I had a flash of Tom Hanks, uh, talking to, uh, the Nelson, was it Nelson, the volleyball saying fire, fire. Yeah. I created <laughs> yes. fire and exactly. he's marooned on the Island, but that, yeah. that's great. Um, it's so important that we all have these ways to unwind and it sounds like you have two perfect ones. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's vital to be able to check out to give your mind a break because I know how intensive, you know, all of our careers can be. Um, and so getting that, that thing that has nothing to do with your career to, to check out, I don't think it's so important. Do you have a place where people can check out some of those creations of yours? Do you, um, offer some of your creations to the public? <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the hiatus right now, um, but I'm hoping to turn on uh, my Etsy shop. It's actually called Daz Timbers. Um, I built tables. I built you know something as simple as large Jenga sets. Um, I just recently actually built uh, chicken coop. Um, we had we decided to get chickens uh, at my house, and so uh, I do have that service. Like I said, it's on hiatus until I can get a couple other things in line. But feel free to check me out. 
Cool. We'll definitely include a link to your uh, woodworking shop in the show notes for folks who want to check out what a IT and RevOps leader does outside of work. That's so cool, Stash. Thank you. Thank you. Our last question here uh, that we love to ask on the podcast really is, uh, in a way, giving a head nod and homage to a lot of the folks who have helped us along the way, um, folks in the space and RevOps that have inspired us. What are some of the folks you look up to and you admire in RevOps? And are there any of them who should be on the podcast? Yeah, you know, I think probably the first person that comes to mind is my current manager, uh, Mike Sitter. Um, I've worked with him at, at, at two companies now. Uh, he's taught me a lot about RevOps as a whole. Um, and I've had just some great learning capable, uh, experiences with him. And so I think he would be an amazing uh, guest on your on your show. Um, I would also say, you know, my, my counterpart here at SciSense, Maggie Ceramic, she is in charge of RevOps here at SciSense and um, has some great thoughts and insights and, and has a really cool career path in which she's taken. Um, I think those two are probably the first ones that pop to mind, but I'll probably end up giving you a list of others I think of uh, after this after this uh, podcast. So. And we're big fans of Mike too. Yes, he's he's fantastic. <laughs> We'd love to have them, Stosh. Lastly, before we uh, sign off here for this episode, where can people find you? You've mentioned your uh, Etsy shop. Um, how can people get in touch with you? How can they um, follow what's next in your career or maybe come ask you questions about RevOps or uh, business systems? Yeah, so I, I am on LinkedIn. Um, so feel free to reach out to me, message me. I'm happy to answer any questions, um, give you advice, talk through anything. Um, and, and and actually that'd be it because I, I'm on no other social media. Um, I'm I'm kind of against it if I'm being completely honest, but LinkedIn, I think, is a good networking tool, and it's a little good other sides. <laughs> I can't tell at all from your analog preferences for vacation selections. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And for um, SciSense, where can people find out more about the company and also the open positions that you are hiring for? Yeah, definitely check out our, our website, SciSense.com, um, S-I-S-E-N-S-E. Um, and feel free to look at the careers page uh, within the, the, our website. We have many different opportunities, even outside of the RevOps here at SciSense. Well, Stash, I really appreciate you spending the time with us. We both do. Um, you've shared so much. And I think, you know, some of the the, the key takeaways for me are <clears throat> that uh, nothing is ir- irreversible, that, uh, you know, uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but, you know, you, you sharing about, you know, planning ahead uh, and preparing before will, you know, help cover things. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story and the importance of networking along the way. And also um, the, that mentor's advice about uh, doing the job you want. Um, I think, you know, some things might go haywire if people stop doing the job they have uh, a bit, but, but you certainly can, uh, you know, start uh, take, taking on aspects of that. And we've seen so many folks step through the admin ranks over the years, step into administration and then grow within administration doing exactly what you described. So I, I think it's really great advice. We, we really appreciate having you on the show today. No, yeah, thank you. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, 
I love talking about this stuff. So it's it, it's definitely it's fun and a passion for me. And for our audience who's listening to the podcast today, if you enjoyed listening to us geek out or rather geeking out with us about business systems and process and technology, um, please subscribe to the podcast. Please like it, favorite it, whatever it is on your preferred podcasting platform and tell a friend, tell a colleague about it. Thank you again for being on the show, Stosh. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit OpFocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 